Welcome, everybody, to the One to Go show. It is Puka once again joined by Ryan Aho and Bert Lehman. Well, we had plenty of racing action over the weekend, and we're going to start with the Lucas Oil Late Models as they commence their season down at Golden Isle Speedway in Georgia. Friday night's portion rained out, but Saturday they got the show in. T-Mac, Tim McCready, led from the pin and a pretty dominating performance, followed by Brandon Overton and Brandon Shepard. So let's uh, let's start with you tonight, Bert. Uh, kind of what's your recap? What's your assessment of the Lucas Oil Late Models down at Golden Isle? Well, I actually watched it live on MAV-TV. Uh, I really like what MAV-TV does early in the season. Uh, they have a few live broadcasts. Um, it was good to see Tim McCready in victory lane in his new colors. And I was unaware that his father was having... Uh, health problems, and so uh, I'm sure that helped pick up his family a little bit, and hopefully his father gets well soon. And uh, another thing from the show is so much for the uh, Billy Moyer retiring. Uh, seems like he's still back out uh, racing in full force. And uh, the, uh, it was quite a show put on by Mark Whitener, uh, He's somebody that I've never heard of before, but he's he hails from Florida, and he was running second or third throughout the entire race until late in the race. He said he had a tire going down, and then he said that uh, Jonathan Davenport put him into the wall, and he had some not-so-kind words about Davenport, and I'm sure Ryan will have some comments on that also. Um, you know, you know, what's the feeling of, you know... Uh, local not so much challenging but you know saying that he's going to race race a national driver um the way he felt that he was being raised um so and it was a great run by uh overton uh, he had to go through a b through a b main and uh finish second and uh i'd like to see what he could do if he could get into a, a good ride and stay in a good ride. And maybe this is his opportunity because he always has strong runs and, but it seems like he's always racing for a different team every year. And uh, I did find it quite funny. I don't know if you guys caught the Brian Shirley interview, a live interview during the races. Um, they asked him about, about the night racing and he didn't have a very good qualifying effort. And he made the comment that he went out. He was ha he had a great January and he went out during his qualifying. And he said he went out there like a schoolgirl. I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. Uh, and then they asked him uh, uh, how he would do in the feature. And he said, as long as he got his head out of his ass, he'd do all right. <laughs> well yeah that's I, I did not catch that interview but i did catch uh, the whitener interview i also caught an interview with with davenport where he said he left whitener plenty of room he said i left whitener plenty of room he said i don't really know what's going on of course whitener said you know as a professional this guy knew he could not stick that on the bottom so um yeah a little bit of drama there and and uh you know uh, Whitener did race yesterday in North Florida, and so I am, I'm assuming he's going to be down there at East Bay. So, uh, you know, if they're going to clash, there's going to be six nights of racing this week. As a matter of fact, they're probably on the track as we speak, so there'll be plenty of time for those two um, to, you know, get in the mix again. And Overton, yeah, like I said, Overton was hot in the fall last year. I told you guys he's kind of my dark horse for whichever series he decided to follow. 
and you know maybe it's going to be the Lucas and so we'll just we'll keep our eyes on him but yeah I started 19th finished second so uh, Ryan any uh what kind of comments you got on Golden Isle yeah I tell you what uh it, it was too bad I think one of the nights rained out there but you know great to see T-Mac get up in victory lane and you know, a little bit of drama there, that's a great way to start the season, right? Because we don't want things to be boring, you know. So if there's a little bit of drama to start the season, that's just exciting for everybody. And uh, that Mark Whitener, I didn't know anything about him either, but local guy down there, he runs some crate stuff and he, you know, ran some limited late models, but he runs very well down there, um, wins some races. So he's already very familiar with those tracks. And, and that's kind of the fun thing, you know, when the traveling series comes in, you know, you get to certain places, and there's sometimes that guy that's like the local hero. He's good at his home track that sometimes puts on a great show with those guys. So it's great to see him running so good. Um, unfortunate what happened there. And, you know, they obviously he's in a Barry Wright car. Davenport used to be the house driver for Barry Wright. So these guys know each other. And he, he alluded to that in their conversation, says, hey, we know each other. You know, we're not going to get into this more now, but we're going to talk. We know each other. They're going to. They will definitely, probably, it's already said and done. You know, in the heat of the moment, you know, I was a race car driver myself. When something like that happens, you're running good, you're running second in a in a huge race like that, and you, you fall out, you're already mad. No matter if somebody got into you or not, you're already mad. The last thing you want to do is talk to somebody with a microphone in your face because you just never know what's going to come out. But, you know, that's how it works in racing. About 99% of the time, them drivers are going to talk it out, but it'll be interesting. You know, that, that respect level changes just a little bit, you know, because like he said, I race people how they race me. And that's absolutely the truth. You know, if you're race, if you're used to racing side by side by side with a guy and there's no contact, he gives you room, you're racing with respect. You kind of race that guy the same way. But if a guy kind of fences you, well, I can assure you that if the opportunity arises, Whitener's not giving Davenport any room, and like he said, Davenport's got a whole lot more to lose than him because he's racing to try to win the Lucas Oil Series. This guy's just racing some local races, so Davenport may want to keep that in mind next time he's side-by-side with Whitener. And uh, Overton, great story there, 19th the second, absolutely impressive, and, and uh, you know, just, it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. Hopefully he gets in a long-term ride. And uh, the squirrel, Brian Shirley, you know, talking <laughs> – kind of funny you know he just uh he definitely wasn't sugarcoating anything in that interview but I, I kind of think back to Arizona right the last night in Arizona he had an opportunity to go out there and win he was the class of the field down in Arizona had he won that last night he would have got a $25,000 bonus he went out in time trials completely laid an egg he uh he overdrove the car in time trials got up in the fence had to start in the back he just wrecked his whole night, and he still had a chance. He got the lead all the way from the back, so he still had a chance. But I wonder, I wonder if that played just a little bit into his mind when he was out there time trial and going, man, the last time I time trial, I fenced this thing. Maybe I need to maybe not be quite so up on the wheel, but if you're not up on the wheel, guess what? You don't qualify well. So um, I think he's probably got that out of the way because when it comes to qualifying, getting after it on a sticky track, he's he's really tough and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does this week. Yeah, and, and Bert, you had mentioned, uh, you know, during the week when we were talking a little bit that this Mark Whitener's got a crate late model background. Yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, I tried to do some research on him. I didn't find a whole lot. Uh, but uh, during the telecast, they were saying that he comes from a, a crate racing background. So, I mean, it was. Yeah, he's, 
he's run guys. He's run a little bit of everything down there. You know, he runs late models. He's got an open late model. He runs crate stuff. So he's been running late models here for a little while. Um, but you know, primarily crates is crates has kind of been a big deal down there as of late. So that's kind of what he's been in as of late. But he's ran. Um, I guess you'd call it open late models or maybe UMP down there. I'm not sure what's sanctioning, but he's, he's ran a little bit of everything. Well, and oh, go ahead. Go what, was, what was impressive about his run is, you know, yeah, he was running second and third, and it's not like he started in second and third and the track was locked down and everybody was just staying where they were. I mean, he was being challenged lap after lap by different drivers, and, you know, he was racing side by side next to, you know, the, the touring drivers, and he was able to hold them off. So, I mean, it was just an, an, impre- an impressive run. Absolutely. And, and uh, that's something that's very important for people to understand because it's, it's totally different to have a good qualifying run. You start up front, track's locked down, you kind of hang on, you, you hold on to a good spot, and people are like, oh, man, you did so good, you ran with them. It, but did you, right? You're kind of holding them up. It's a totally different deal on a good racy racetrack where you're actually racing with these guys competing, driving away from some of them, and you're actually having a shot to be a top three guy on a racy track. Totally different deal. And uh, I really like seeing that because that's kind of the case all over the country. One of my favorite things when these traveling series come to town is seeing the local guys be able to compete. And, you know, I can think back to the modified realms you know, you know, when the USMTS come up to Minnesota and you see guys like um, Dan Ebert and, and Shane Sabraski taking wins with their Minnesota cars in a USMTS race, I, I eat that stuff up. I like that. Well, this, this is going to be, you know, I'm reading a little article here as I'm doing a little bit of research on Whitener. And it's, it looks like in early March of 2018, he was suspended uh, for an altercation in the pits. Uh, let's see. After completion of the 100-lap race, Whitener entered the pit area of another competitor competitor, and was therefore deemed the aggressor in starting a physical altercation. So, um, like you said, I, I think he did mention yeah, in the interview that he does know J.D., but, you know, who knows? You know, if they get into each other again, maybe something will boil over and we'll have even more driving to talk about on the pod. I got to be honest. I like it more and more all the time. You know, they, I've, I've, I heard some different promoters say, Hey, fighting is absolutely not allowed at our racetrack unless it's on the front straightaway in front of the crowd. And if that's the case, we're going to give you each a hundred bucks. And uh, cause you bring that WWE, you bring that flair, you bring that intensity. And uh, that's what the sport needs. The sport needs some, uh, some characters like that. Well, that's- well I, I know, I know somebody on, who does PR work on the Eastern side of Wisconsin and he's done some promoting in the past. And uh, he said that uh, a successful race show, somebody has to wear the black hat. Well, that's, you know, I've been saying, you know, my family's a big hockey family. And, and, you know, for the last 20 years, they've been trying to take, you know, fighting out of the NHL. And what's the most, what's the fat, what has been one of the fastest growing sports over the last 20 years? Ultimate fighting, right? So all this pay-per-view. And it's like, you know, this <laughs> I mean, it's right in front of their faces, the sport that's just growing, growing, growing in popularity. The NHL can see it, and they're saying, well, we're going to take fighting out of hockey. So, But I agree, Ryan. Yeah, we need characters. We need that drama in NASCAR. I mean, NASCAR should have a fight in the pits every weekend with the cameras stuffed in their face. I mean, they do the best thing for them. You wouldn't think that'd be hard with Kyle Busch. I mean, the guy's <laughs> up on the wheel. He's got the attitude problem as it is, you know, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't think it'd be hard. There'd probably be somebody getting in a fist fight with him every week. Well, speaking of Whitener, we want to touch on North Florida, where uh, the late models did stop yesterday. 
They amassed nine cars for some daytime racing on a Sunday afternoon before the Super Bowl. Uh, I watched that race. Uh, I guess the biggest news, besides Whitener winning, was Billy Moyer out to the lead, start on the pole, spun all by himself, just looped it going into corner one. I know, Ryan, you had some comments on the race. <laughs> Sometimes a person's got to wonder if promoters got any common sense, right? You know, first of all, they had very few. They had way less mods uh, last or yesterday during the day. I was going to say last night, but it was yesterday during the day. They had way less mods, um, less than ten late models. And I looked at the crowd. It looked like there was nobody there. I mean, what are they thinking? I mean, come on, running on Super Bowl Sunday. You know, let's face it. Not every race fan is a football fan, but Super Bowl Sunday in the United States of America is a holiday, and uh, I can't imagine it was a very profitable event for the racetrack and. And, uh, boy, Billy Moyer, uh, it looks like he's still got second, I believe. You know, so even after spinning out, you know, whatever. But uh, he doesn't make mistakes very often. Fortunately for him, there was only, like, three people there to see it. Yeah, it was it was odd to see. I mean, all by – I mean, he had two car lengths on Whitener and, and uh, just came in a little hot, a little high up in some of the dry stuff and just spun around. Uh, so uh, did you have any comments, Bert, on North Florida? Did you get to see anything or follow any of that? I didn't see anything, but, you know, I – I just wanted to comment, you know, I don't know why they scheduled that show in the afternoon. Uh, maybe it was because the Super Bowl's at night, but that being the case, you know, that might be a case where it's best to just not even have a show at all. Because if you're thinking as well, they'll come to the races in early in the afternoon and they'll be home by the Super Bowl. Like Ryan said, Super Bowl, even if you're not a football fan, it's kind of like a holiday in this country. And, you know, people go to Super Bowl parties and they have plans and, you know, they're not going to deviate from their plans, especially to see nine late models race. Well, we're talking to guys that, you know, this is a couple weeks in a row that there's been day races on a Sunday. You know, it wasn't necessarily Florida, but uh, but down there for that extreme dirt car race at Cherokee, I think that's what uh, Gaffney, South Carolina, I think is where that one was, wasn't it? You know yeah. they had a they had a day race on a Sunday too. It's like I don't I don't understand it. Like I would as a racer as a race fan on the promoting side of things, I would do everything I possibly could to never have a day race. I mean, first of all, I mean again, racing against the Super Bowl is kind of just a core idea. But then there's there's no entertainment value to day racing. There just simply is not. The track's terrible. I mean, it's, less people are there during the day. I've never seen a quality day race program ever in my entire life, and I've been going to the races now for 45 years. You'd think that race racetrack promoters would be like, hey, this is a bad idea. Let's not even do it. I, I just don't get it. Well, moving on, we will uh, shift from Georgia to Florida. So like we said, the cars are on the track. As a matter of fact, we already have the starting lineup for tonight's feature. 62 cars checked into East Bay. And one thing I did hear about East Bay, and I don't know if you guys know this, and Ryan, I think you've raced there, so you might miss this uh, or miss the place coming up because they said they have five more years, and that's it. Then the place is going to be leveled. I just heard that today. Have either of you followed that story? On the on the telecast um, on Saturday night, they said that, yeah, they had just signed a five-year contract, and then uh, after that um, – you're not sure what's going on yeah so that could change you know what i mean i've heard i've heard that said about a lot of different places hey they got a few more years they got a few more years um let's just keep our fingers crossed because yes i have 
I've been there as a spectator, and I, I raced down there at East Bay, and uh, just a, a historic facility, just a, a great place for racing in February for dirt car fans of all kinds. So I, I hope that's not the case, and you know, I, I want a, a little drama in the modified. I know you're a late model guy, Puka, but I'm going to bring it back to the modifieds because I'm a mod guy too. Um, so last week, Buzzy Adams won the big one on Saturday. He won the, the, the finale there. But the night before that, a guy by the name of Shane Burroughs came from 16th to win. Well, little drama. They actually did tire samples, sent them in, got the results back. Shane Burroughs disqualified illegal tires. He, there was something in the composition. I don't know if there was something added or softener or whatever, but it was obvious that he got disqualified. Buzzy Adams awarded the win, and uh, it's pretty tough to come to, from 16th to 1st, and I would I'd just say that that was clearly a little bit of an advantage. So it's it's nice to see racetracks, you know, keeping that keeping that really under control or doing their best to do that. So Buzzy Adams with two wins down there in Florida, uh, pretty pretty exciting for us Northern guys. Yeah, congratulations, Buzzy, and staying on that East Bay theme, Bert, uh, you what you following as far as storylines or predictions tonight? Um, I haven't seen the lineups for tonight, uh, but uh, I mean, 62 cars, that's a very good car count. McCready Moran front row. McCready Moran front row. (laughs) And Shepard in the second row. (laughs) I mean, if McCready could win two in a row, that would be spectacular for him with a new team and especially with uh, uh, the family situation. Any details? Just his dad's sick. I mean, do we know how serious? Is it like a cancer sick, or is, does anybody know? I tried doing some research today, and I couldn't find anything other than uh, from McCready's interview where he said that he was just having some health problems. But he, but he took a turn for the better, so they were hopeful that he was going to be getting better. All right, Ryan, what you following for uh, tonight's race? Oh man, I tell you, B Shep is going to be tough to beat from uh, from the second row. You know, I'd love to see T-Max uh, as a fan favorite, you know, pretty likable guy. Uh, Brandon Shepard kind of on them turn and burn type tracks. I look at him being tough all pretty much down there and when he gets over to Volusia. So I uh, look for that rocket car to be up front. I'm, I'm picking B-Shep tonight. I agree B-Shep's going to be tough. And I'm not going to tell you one guy I don't think is going to be tough this year, and that's Shane Clanton. I still can't believe that he decided to move, you know, kind of from the JV series up to the varsity I'm still surprised at that. I, I it just it's weird seeing him now in this Lucas lineup tonight, where he's going to start uh, in the tenth row. You know, his teammate Tyler Bruning, I know, is running for the Rookie of the Year. Do we know anyone else that's shooting for that Rookie of the Year? I don't in Lucas Oil, but I, I got I'm going to bring you back a little bit. I said this is 2020, right? This is a whole new decade. So last year, the cream of the crop may have been in the Lucas Oil. But now you got Team Zero over there in the world of Outlaw, so I'm not really sure which one's the junior varsity and which one's the varsity anymore. When you look at Team Zero with Madden, Bloomquist, Ricky Weiss, Brandon Shepard, you know, you look at them guys in World of Outlaws, I got to be honest with you, I'm not really sure which one is, is the class of the field. I think both of them are going to have some great racing. Um, I, think, I think he's going to have a good year. I think Clanton's going to have a good year, um, but I think that. Uh, I, I wouldn't pick him as the guy to beat. Yeah, I just think that, yeah, and maybe, well, of course, obviously with, with Bloomquist, and, you know, because he had announced before, you know, that transition. But, yeah, with Bloomquist and Madden, they're obviously going to up the game. But I just, you know, after all those years of being loyal 
And and I just I think it's going to be a tough nut for him to crack to go to a lot of different tracks. And and why would you after you've like said you've you've been to Grand Forks how many times now? You know, and you've been to you know all the different tracks. You know, it's just it's just. But I think it it was more of a team owner deal because I think that that Bruning wanted to run for the rookie of the year. So I just but I just say that it's a guy that I don't like. Brandon Overton, I have high expectations. Shane Clanton, I've got low expectations. You know, one thing you said there, Puka, is, you know, he's going to be going to a lot of different tracks. And, and for me as a race car driver, that was something that I loved. So maybe some, maybe that's a little part of the reason, too. Maybe that's why it was easier because, you know, sometimes you race a whole bunch of racetracks and you're like, man, it'd be kind of cool to check out this place and this place and this place. So sometimes a change of scenery in racing is just it's just fun it brings you know you get to go see new fans you get to go see new facilities new racetracks and it's a whole different experience so i looked at some of my most fun i ever had racing was going to tracks that i've never been to before and one of my one of my favorite things to do was pull into a track i never been at ever in my entire life drive a different group than all the locals and then win and then have them go like what in the world groove was that? And we not, we've never run that groove in our whole life. And uh, all of a sudden, so they start changing their things. And that was that's something that I was really excited to do was win at tracks that I was at for the first time. So maybe that's a goal for him this year. All right. Well, let's turn now from late models to technology and video replays. You know, we've got video replay in all the major sports. We've had video replay in all the major sports for, oh gosh, a couple of decades. And one big to ask, are we going to have it in racing? Should we have it in racing? When will it come to racing? So we're going to discuss video replays and racing just a little bit tonight. Ryan, do you want to kick us off on kind of your thoughts on should we, can we, will we? <laughs> there is absolutely no way this is ever going to happen for multiple reasons. Um, usually the video, the video crews, excluded from where the where the scoring people are and the people making the calls are either in the flag stand or in the corner usually it's not a guy up in the booth you know especially on local racing most most racetracks the vast majority of racetracks have a hard enough time getting people to come there and do any kind of work period right it, i mean they got about beg people to be ticket sellers working in the concessions making calls flag man it is tough to get people now you're going to be asking them to add one or two more people, probably one, but add another person. And a lot of times they don't even have video at all these races. So it just depends maybe on the bigger scale. They, they certainly have video at a lot of the bigger races. But you have to have one more paid person. And on the profitability side of things for racetracks, man, it is, it is tough enough most nights to make a profit and now they're going to add one more person in there that they have to pay. That makes it tough all by itself. That's it's almost impossible to keep adding expense. Well, the other thing well, is, Ryan, let, let me let ahead. me jump in here real quick. What if it's? And I think you're right. You know, I'll give it. But what about like a Lucas that's always there? Uh, you know, do you could you see them sooner than later maybe adopting something like this because they've got the filming and from all the different angles, many different camera shots. Could you see something potentially going on there? You know, I, I don't know that I can. I mean, I everything's a possibility. I mean, we never thought replay would be in, uh, in professional sports, but I, I just don't see it because there, there's so many variables, right? A lot of times, 
yeah, it depends. They have to have the right person making those. It's got to be somebody that actually raced a car that's going to be making those calls because they can't tell what a car did and what a car didn't do. Are they looking at all the angles? Is it going to add more time to the program? Some of these programs take too long as it is. You know, so is that going to add more time to the program, causing track conditions to kind of deteriorate because they're sitting there all day? Um, I just I just don't see it. And like I said, the the hardest part is finding people. Now, with the World of Outlaws or the Lucas, they could probably hire a person. But, again, that expense comes to the track because I'm, you know, I'm promoting, helping promote an event, a World of Outlaw event at the Grand Rapids Speedway. Those events aren't free. I mean, you got to write a pretty hefty check as a racetrack to these two, you know, World of Outlaws or Lucas just to get them to come to your facility. I can assure you that they're not going to just say, well, we're going to add one more person in to, to be able to do this. The, the racetrack's going to have to pay for that. And on a lot of these regular shows, I'm not talking about the marquee events like the USA Nationals and stuff like that. I'm talking about during the season, the 10 grand, the 12 grand to win shows, I'm telling you, it is not easy for a lot of these tracks to be extremely profitable at these events. So when you start adding in more expenses, no matter if it's Lucas Oil or whoever, the racetrack promoter still has to cut the check for that. They're just going to add it into the cost, and, and it's hard enough to make them profitable. I I don't see it. I don't like it in, in any realm. You know, I, I, trust me, I've gotten my fair share of bad calls, um, but I definitely probably got a few that could have went the other way as well. It's part of the sport. You know, you're going to have some human error in there. I think most of the time they get it right, and uh, I just don't think it's necessary. I really don't. Bert? I have to agree 100% with Ryan. Uh, replay uh, locally, regionally, nationally, it's a bad idea, uh, in my opinion. It just opens up a whole can of worms that doesn't need to be opened. And, I mean, the thing is, everybody views an act. I mean, I agree with Ryan, too. If it would ever happen, the person making the call would have to be somebody who has raced a car before. Um, you know, that knows, uh, you know, the different aspects of what a car does in, in certain situations. And it's just, it would be a bad idea. It, it would cause uh, more upset feelings than there are right now. I mean, you go on Facebook and if there's a video of an accident and you read the comments, even though the video is right in front of your face, you have 50 different opinions as to what happened and whose fault it is. Yeah, well, and I... Boy, that is accurate, man. And, no, go ahead. Uh, Puka, I, I'm not going to cut off. I'll let you finish. You had a thought there, but I'm going to add on that because he's right on the money. That, that's exactly right. I've seen some things already this year, already this over the winter, I've seen some things on video where I'm like, I had my opinion on it, and I, I refrained from being a keyboard warrior because people get passionate and it just ain't going anywhere good. But I looked at it, and I'm like, well, in my eyes, obviously it was this guy's fault. And then you see half the people on there going, well, no. No, it was it was this guy's fault. And it's like, that is just crazy. So you're still going to come down to that element of, are they going to get it right? You know, an example is the Super Bowl yesterday, right? They did an instant replay. 
the Chiefs scored a touchdown, and uh, it looked to me like the guy stepped out of bounds. It looked like his one foot was out of bounds, barely, you know, just on the edge of the white. In my opinion, it was out of bounds. It was like for, it was going to have to be fourth and goal from the one or whatever it was. And they did replay. They did instant replay on it, and they said, nope, the call stands touchdown. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I'm like, all right, well, fair enough. I was rooting for the Chiefs anyway. You know, but, you know, but you see all kinds of uh, Niners fans, they were just completely ticked. They're like, well, I'm glad they went to replay, but they still screwed it up in their mind. And the Chiefs fans are like, well, see, they did the replay. They got it right. So you're still going to have that. Yeah, I agree with you guys, but let me just Why add more time the to the program to get the same was, Like we talked earlier, traveling series, you know, you're Earl Pearson Jr. You live in Jacksonville, Florida. You trailer up to I-80 outside of Omaha for the Silver Dollar Nationals. You get screwed on a bad call. You know, I guess that's the only pro I could see, but I agree with you guys. It's more time. You know, I don't even like it in pro sports. It just, it, it just, you know, I, I mean, I, they're dealing with billions of dollars. So I, at least I understand why they're doing it, but I still don't like it. I, I can see that point as a racer. I can see that point because, especially on the times where they got it wrong, there's a couple where they they gave me the the benefit where they shouldn't have. I'm like, oh, I'm glad they didn't have instant replay there. That's good, right? But there's some times where I felt like I got a bad call. But again, are they still going to get it right? Because it's still a judgment deal, right? Are they still no matter no matter if they replay it or not, are they going to get it right anyway? So I sometimes it's a judgment call. You just got to make that call. You'll win some, you lose some, you just got to move on. And, and those guys that travel up, like you're talking Pearson on the big traveling series, most of those guys got some pretty big money backing them or some big sponsors. So it's not, it's probably not as detrimental to them as it is to a lot of the local guys that are racing on a budget, trying to scrape again, scrape together every dollar they can to get to the racetrack. Anything else, Bert? It probably means more to that guy no, than I it mean, does to the traveling series. Like I said before, it's just a bad, bad idea, if you ask, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Then the Structural Buildings 2020 Wazota Challenge Series schedule has been released. So we got 17 races on the board this year. Uh, we have what uh, three track? Well, two tracks: Miller Central Speedway and Mississippi Thunder Speedway dropped from last year's schedule, and Ogilvy has cut her down from two nights to one night. And we have three tracks added to the schedule. I-94 in Fergus, North Central Speedway in Brainerd, and Princeton. And I guess according to Jonathan Powers, Princeton will be hosting its first sanctioned late model race since 1982. So that's pretty cool. So, Bert, why don't we start with you on this one? Uh, what sticks out to you on this uh, Challenge Series schedule for this year? Uh, well, what sticks out to me is uh, there are only four races in the state of Wisconsin, uh, two at Rice Lake, one at Menominee. And I can't remember off the top of my head where the where the fourth one well, is. Superior. But superior, yeah. correct. Um, so, and looking at the point standings from last year, seven of, of the top ten drivers are from Wisconsin. So, you, that caught my attention that seven of the top ten drivers in the standings and there's only uh, four races in Wisconsin. Now, I'm not familiar with how far... I mean, I know the western part of the state is closer to some of these tracks in Minnesota, so I'm not sure how far they are uh, from Minnesota. Um, 
but that stuck out into my mind. And you mentioning that Mississippi Thunder Speedway uh, was dropped from the schedule, and I find it interesting that Mississippi Thunder uh, added a Dirt Kings race this year. So they have d- two Dirt Kings races, and they dropped the Wasoda Challenge Series race. And I'm wondering if they found out that they can get more late model drivers for a Dirt Kings race because they're guaranteed the Dirt Kings drivers are going to follow that race, plus they're going to get some of the top Wasoda drivers to race in that race because of the payout and the proximity in the western part of the state. So those are my observations off the top of my head. Well, speaking of Dirt Kings, of course, uh, I think we mentioned this already on the tentative schedule that the, the, you know, the Dirt Kings race in Plymouth is a double book with August 14th in Menominee with that Maiden Memorial, which is part Correct. of the Challenge Series. So that's, of course, unfortunate. Uh, Ryan, what's your scoop on the looking at the schedule this year? You know, I, I like the addition of a couple tracks on there. Gonna see, it's going to be interesting to see how it works out. Uh, really happy to see that Carson with Wasoda uh, worked with uh, with both Fergus Falls and worked with um, uh, Princeton because tentatively they actually had the Princeton date the same. It was on June nineteenth. Is kind of when they had when they were looking at having that scheduled. And I-94 was going to have a non-challenge series special on that day. But I, it, I'm really glad to see that the, that Fergus decided to make that a challenge series race and Princeton took a different date, so they're not competing against each other. Nice to see that open line of communication. Uh, speaking of Wisconsin, one thing that really just I, – I just don't get it. I mean, it's come on, it's been such a long time. I think it was 2006 um, back when Wasoda and Cedar Lake split. Um, so we're talking – Man, that's like 15 years ago. That's a long time ago. The mecca of of late model racing in our area is still, to this day, the Cedar Lake Speedway. Why on earth is there not a challenge series? So I don't know if that's on Cedar Lake or on Wasota on both. I don't know the details there. But, man, it would be, in my opinion, it is just it's a must. I mean, you've got to have a challenge series show at Cedar Lake. It's, it's Cedar Lake, right? Um, the other thing is, you know, a, a one thing that I would have liked to seen a little bit different, just talking scheduling, you know, I noticed that opening weekend for the Challenge Series is Friday, May 22nd at Princeton, and then they go to Rice Lake on Saturday the 23rd, okay? But then I look down the road, I look to August 14th, Friday, they're in Menominee, and Saturday the 15th, they're in Brainerd. So being a race car driver, you know, I know what it costs to haul these race cars to racetracks. It would be really cool to see. I mean, it's still early. They can make some changes. Maybe now that it's announced, they can't. But it would just make more sense to me to have Princeton and Brainerd on the same swing and then have Menominee and Rice Lake on the same swing. I don't know if that's something they can still make work, but that seemed to me seems to me that would make a lot more sense um, for the drivers and the race teams so there wasn't so much travel cost involved. Um, super happy to see it's coming back up north to uh, the Silver 1000, the Wasota Classic, and the Labor Day Shootout to, to, to end it. It was a great, great weekend of racing last year to, to really put a cap on things. A.J. Demel took that home, and uh, there was some great racing up there. So if anybody yeah, has right, been let me to follow those up. Tracks, so Cedar Lake actually had there, a challenge in the summer of 18, late in the year in August. 
I, I remember when that came out on the schedule, I told my brother, we're going. You know, we haven't seen, quote, unquote, Wazota late models on that track in a long time. So we got, uh, you know, this was like three weeks after the USA Nationals. And we went down, brought the kids, the whole deal. And there was nobody in the grandstands. I mean, even talking with the Coffins, they were a little bit shocked. So Because it was the same thing. It was Friday. Friday, I think they had, it was the Mater race. And I want to say they had like 50. And Jeff Wildung rolled over that night, I believe. Somebody rolled over. Was it Wildung? Anyway, the next night um, in Cedar, they had like high 20s. So, I mean, it was good. They had the, they had the right guys. As a matter of fact, uh, Jim Brueggemann then rolled over that night in like a brand new car. But they, you know, so they did, they did get a race in there, but it just, it, you know, no fans. Here, here's the yeah here's the deal with that okay and and I'm glad you brought that up because I've been on all realms of this um, helping series helping tracks been a racer done it all and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be quite frank it's not the series job to bring the fans the series their job is to solidify some sponsors and to promote to the drivers so in my eyes in my mind whoever was running the challenge series at that time they kind of dropped the ball because if there was that many people the night before Menominee, they should have been in their ear, man, what can we do to get you there? Let, let's promote it. Let's promote it. Let's get as many drivers there. I'm going to give you an example of that, and it's a Superstock class. Dennis McCauley um, puts together the Northland Superstock Series. By far the most traveled and the most well-attended by drivers out of all the series in Wasota. They averaged over 40 cars per night last year. Why? One reason and one reason only because he promoted it to the drivers. He was making calls, texting them, messaging them, promoting them, and doing everything he could to get the drivers there. Now, as far as fans, that's up to the promoter, okay? That's on them. See, you know, in a national traveling series like the Lucas Oil or the World of Outlaws, you're going to draw race fans from all over the place because it's a national series. The local and regional series it's a little tougher because these fans are used to seeing these people already. It's not quite as big of a deal for them. So it's up to the promoter to get creative and unique as far as how they're getting fans to come to their track. So if they didn't get enough fans as they'd like, that's not on the challenge series. That's on the Cedar Lake Speedway in that instance. And there's several other instances as far as racetracks, but in in this example, that's on them um, for not getting enough fans. They didn't do enough to bring enough fans in and and that's where it makes it very, very difficult as a racetrack to have some of these races because it's a significantly higher expense for a racetrack to put on an event like this. Now, the, the trick is always this. Getting the cars there is one thing, but you got to get butts in the seats to actually cover the cost and make it a profitable event or why do it. And, and that's where I think a lot of racetracks in all the series are really dropping the ball on, so on you mentioned Carson. Is this, this the gentleman that runs the really series? To be addressed moving forward. Yeah, Carson Graham is actually the executive uh, director for Wissota. Um He's also the, uh, I don't know what, it, what his position would be, but he basically runs the Challenge Series as well. Um, I think he's only been there for a year, maybe two. So I don't believe, uh, I don't know if he was there in 18 or not. If, if he was, he was brand new, you know. So if, if he was, he's only been affiliated with Wasota for a little while. I believe his dad 
used to be the announcer out at the Brown County Speedway in Aberdeen. Knew Terry Volts very well, so he's been involved with racing. And, you know, he's, I talked to him uh, in depth, actually, about the Challenge Series and about some different things. And he's like, man, I'd like to do more with this, but I'm also like the executive director of Wissota. So there's only one of me. And, and the goal down the road is maybe to, to separate those two jobs, right, and have a have somebody that's in charge of the sanctioning body as a whole and then having a whole other person to actually run the Challenge Series. And, and I don't think that's going to happen this year, um, too close to the season, and there's other things going on with Wissota. But I think that's that's in the future because there's a lot of little things that can nice. be done. Nice. Well, yeah, like you said, really Ryan, we're going to kick it, off this um, year Memorial Weekend on Friday the 22nd, which is a little bit earlier than the last uh, handful of years. Normally they were starting that first weekend of June out in uh, South Dakota, which they will be on the 4th. They will be in Huron. Uh, what is it here now? Let me see. Uh, Huron on Thursday, Brown County on Friday, back to Huron on Saturday, and then Casino Speedway on Sunday. And that Saturday event is the 10K show, which it has been for several years. And then, like Ryan said, they're going to swing up north for the Silver 1000, uh, the Wazota Classic, two days at the Labor Day shootout, and hoping to kind of close off the, the year. Now, Huron, Ryan, is... I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch on that. You, you mentioned in here on there. Uh, honestly, that's another thing I had in my notes here. That as a race car driver absolutely makes me shake my head. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Really? A Thursday, then travel, then come back for why? Why? Why is Aberdeen and Huron not working together and saying, "All right, Aberdeen, I know your regular night's Friday, but on this particular weekend." Let's just run you on Saturday, so that way the drivers they can they can get all their stuff unloaded, get comfortable, do their thing, and they can race at the same track two days in a row. I mean that just to me is just common sense. And I again I don't know who's involved with that, whatever it has nothing to do with me. But as a race car driver, it literally makes me shake my head. Why on earth would they do that? That that show, in my opinion, should be Thursday, Friday here on Saturday, Aberdeen. Sunday Watertown, call it an A. It just makes a lot more sense for everybody. Campers, fans, everybody. That I mean, think about think about all the big shows, right? Like uh, USA Nationals, all the people camping there and all that. Now you have fans. It's it's almost impossible to even camp out, right? You're going to the races on Thursday, a boom. Now you got to drive an hour and a half. Well, speaking of making sense, one thing we wanted to touch on no with the Challenge Series. You know, back in the I day when the Challenge Series was created, it was weekday only racing. And except for the specials at the end of the year, I think they could fold those in. And then I think about 08 when Volts kind of was running the Rumble series, you know, then they started to incorporate some weekend racing, you know, into the challenge series. And so now you're, you're pulling cars from weekly tracks and weekly racing to run this series. And so we just kind of wanted to banter around and throw this around, whether that's a good idea, good idea or not. So Bert, why don't we, get you back on the mic here your thoughts on you know allowing weekend racing you know as far as Wazota as a main sanctioning body you know kind of pulling cars from every which way to run their little series well I mean from a fan standpoint uh tracks may have a better chance of drawing a larger crowd if it's on a weekend versus uh, a weekday night uh but uh 
and from a driver's perspective, it may be easier to get to races on a weekend versus uh, versus a weekday night, uh, just because. I mean, these drivers aren't professional drivers. You know, most of them have a day job to go to. Um, but when you have weekend races, that's when you have you start having scheduling conflicts and you're scheduling uh, races against other tracks, and which which could hurt uh, the fan count at their tracks. So, um, in some ways, it's double-edged sword, and you just got to choose the best option. That's uh, best for, I mean, in this case, you have to do what's best for the series if you want the series to survive. Yeah, it's just such a hard one because, you know, there are other series like the Dirt Kings and like that Tri-State. And, of course, the, the Wu and now the Lucas are even going to make swings through the area. And, and you know, they're they're doing weekends and, and you know, weekdays and weekends, you know, do whatever they can. But like I said, so many of these guys are weekend warriors. So I suppose weekends work better for them. But I, I don't know. I just... As was Zoda, which was, you know, their mission, I guess, is, you know, kind of pr- to promote local racing. It just seems counterintuitive to me to be pulling a couple of cars from your premier class at most tracks to kind of run your little show, you know, down the road four hours. I don't know. It just, like I said, it seems counterintuitive to me. I, I just, I ultimately, I don't think it's a good idea. I understand why they do it. And like I said, if they're not going to do it, there are plenty of other series that are going to do it. But ultimately, I don't like it. I like I liked it, you know, the old way where it was a weeknight type deal. Ryan, what say you? Yeah, this I, from what I understand, this started with Montevideo um, a few years back. Uh, the Challenge Series had two pay structures. They had a two thousand to win deal, and they had a three thousand to win deal, and. Basically, if you were running on your non-regular night during the week, you could have a 2000 to win, $200 to start purse. If you ran it on the weekend, it had to be 3000 to win, $300 to start. Well, they, they wanted to get a show out there, tied it in with something they were doing out there, and Montevideo said, there's just no way we can pull that off. I mean, it's a, it's a big expanse. you got to get a whole bunch more butts in the seats to actually cover the cost of that show and in a small community like Montevideo, they're, they're like, man, we don't want to take that kind of risk. We want to show, let's run it on our Friday. We'll tie it in with one of our nights because at the time they only had a handful of late models racing there. And Wasoda said, all right, fine, we'll let you do the $2,000 show. So that changed things right away for the drivers because now all the tracks have the option of you can pay 2000 to win 200 to start or 3000 to win 300 to start or anything in between. And most of the tracks now said, well, if we have the option and we're going to get the same cars, we're going to just pay the lesser purse, you know, and which it hurt the drivers, but you're going to get the same drivers regardless. So it's kind of one of those, one of those deals where that kind of, that kind of started it right now. uh, The other thing is this back when they were running them during the week, and this was a, a lot of racetracks, they talked about this. So let's say that, you know, use any racetrack, let's say racetrack a had a Tuesday challenge series show. Typically that following Saturday, their fan count would be significantly less because the people came on Tuesday, paid an increased price to get in. They only have X amount of dollars to spend per week for entertainment. They already spent it on Tuesday. So now they weren't coming on Saturday. So what was happening is even if that show went really well on Tuesday, Saturday show would be a flop for them. 
and so they looked at that and they said, man, it just don't make any sense to run during the week because we're kind of cutting our own throats. It wasn't a, as far as business went, it wasn't good. And I believe it was Bert touched on it. A lot of the drivers, you know, let's face it, they have full-time jobs. Some of them own businesses, you know, and, and most of them are, they, they don't just race for a living. So it was, it's difficult for them to get away during the week and then drive back and drive back and forth. And, you know, and, uh, so their thought was if we just keep this a weekend deal, you know, for the most part, maybe we can get more people to follow it. Now, you know, that's a challenge in itself right now. You know, I actually talked to Jake Radetzky here uh, last week, and I said, what do we got to do to get more cars to follow this? And really, it just comes down to more money. You know, it costs so much to get in. Um, last year, it was a $100 entry fee plus like 30 or 40 bucks to get in the pits. Uh, with Soda actually did something great for the drivers this year. Um, they decreased the entry fee to 50 bucks. I mean, it's only 50 bucks, but 50 bucks is 50 bucks. But it actually kind of hurt the track because the track still has to pay out that the their fee to with Soda, which is 1500 bucks to um, just to sanction them for that night. But now the track can't charge an entry fee to recoup that. So it's kind of what's good for one is bad for the other type deal. But it really all comes down to money, entertainment value. And, uh, and and just making it a bigger deal. And and uh, with this said, and Puka, this is going to hurt your feelings. I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance. But the in my opinion, the day of late models being a regular class on regular nights, every single – it's just gone, right? And, and the reason I say that is because for these tra- – for tracks to have late models every night all year long, it is very expensive. That's the biggest part of the show. And I like watching late models, but the fact of the matter is, it's almost insulting for a late model guy nowadays with the cost of their cars to unload their car for six, $700 to win. All right? And, and, and if they can't pay them, they can't pay them 1000 2000 a night like they should. They should pay them that because the cars are worth that much. I mean, you got forty, fifty grand into these cars. You know, you can't pay them 200 250 to start. You can't pay them 2000 3000 to win every single night. The tracks would all go bankrupt. It's impossible. So I would like to see, in in my eyes, I would like to see less tracks actually have them on a weekly basis. But when they do have them, pay them three, four, five grand to win. Pay them two, three, four, five hundred dollars to start. So that way, when they do come to the area, you're getting thirty of them, and you're getting a good show, and they're racing for some real money. And it's and well, it's that's more of a, a novel. That's why I'm holding on. You know, you know, I'm saying they're, they're, you know, like they're just going to be in traveling, and I, that's not what I want because I don't want to travel every, every week, and I want to go to my home track, and I still want to see late models. Uh, any more comments on this, Bert? Well, um, there's a late model driver in the eastern part of Wisconsin, and he's been saying for ten years that uh, the future in in local late model racing is going to be a series you know tracks aren't going to have weekly late models that it's going to be little mini series that drivers are going to be racing uh i I mean i agree with you i hope that doesn't happen because you know i like i live 30 minutes away from a track that has weekly late models so i i like doing that and uh, i mean ryan was talking about payout um yeah late models are the largest uh purse of a show and a lot of the times they have the least amount of cars of any division so you know that that's something that uh promoters have to balance i know shano speedway they do pay a thousand to win every week so you know 
it, but you know, Shano has a, has a strong late model history behind it. All right, fellas. Good discussion. Well, with that, we will head to the last lap where we have one to go. Ryan, uh, we had some news that came out this week that Wizoda and IMC are banning lithium batteries. Uh, I think it's what fire danger. I know nothing about this, not a racer. This is like way out of, out of my league. Can you explain to the listeners kind of why they would do this as a safety call? Here's the deal. I, I've been following this a little bit on Facebook. I've been talking to a few racers that that have uh, the lithium-ion batteries who actually sponsor, I believe they sponsor the Lucas Oil Series, maybe the World of Outlaws as well. Sure. Um, they're actually manufactured up in northern Minnesota, Coleraine. Um, so, Puka, you know right where that is. Um, but so so here's, here's the deal. With the lithium batteries, um, we've all heard of cell phones starting on fire, blowing up. It's a lithium battery, right? Now there was some issues with a te- the Tesla cars, the battery, car- you know, them cars. There was there was a handful of issues with them, and the fire gets very hot. It's hard to put out. Now, to, from my, from the best of my knowledge, I have I know these batteries, the lithium-ion batteries. That there's a ton of people using them, right? They've been around for probably about seven, eight years now, somewhere in that neighborhood. I personally have heard absolutely zero issues ever happening with them. I, I, I've not heard of one single issue. In fact, um, talking to the guy that actually produces the battery, they've gone through extensive testing and safety protocols to make sure that they can withstand, you know, what racing gives them. You know, so they've actually done, went above and beyond to make sure it's not going to be an issue, never has been an issue. But because lithium batteries are banned on airplanes, um, there's been fires, and, you know, um, with soda and IMCA both made the decision to no longer allow them. Now, I, I got to be honest, I, I don't really understand it because if there's not been an issue, maybe it's a knee-jerk reaction to something they saw. Maybe one did it and the other followed. I really don't know. But, you know, I, I guess I would like to – I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping, and, and I don't know this is to be true, but I'm hoping somebody actually went and did some due diligence and actually said, this is why we're doing it. Now, from what I understand, speaking to my source, they, they've been trying to get in contact with, with Soda to say, look, why, why? What are you doing? And from what I've been told is there's been no, there's been no communication between the lithium-ion battery company out of Coleraine, Minnesota, and with Soda. So, like, they're not getting their answers. Now they're out of business because they're not out of business. They still sell them to NHRA, um, Lucas Oil, World of Outlaws. I mean, all the big, big sanctioning bodies still allow them. I don't understand why these two pretty much local-based, I mean, they're, they, they are all over the place, but it's kind of local racing-based companies um, decided that they're not going to allow them. Um, so it's going to be interesting moving forward. I, I know they're, at this time they're outlawed. There's definitely going to be more communications on this. Um, I know there's a lot of drivers really upset about it because they already have this. I talked to a talked to a local racer from up in Hibbing, um, actually Jeff Tardy. He's had the same battery for seven years, never had an issue ever. So it's uh, it's interesting that they just went ahead and you know I'm hoping it wasn't just a knee jerk reaction type. Let's make this rule because every time there's a rule change, it costs the drivers money. And, you know, if it's truly a safety deal and there's been issues, hey, I'm all for it. I'm all for driver safety. But there's, 
I don't know if there's anything that really warrants the decision that they made. So I'm really interested to see um, moving forward what their reasoning is and what their all right. You know, I guess the well, process Bert, a late they went through legend. to make Got this some decision. good news from his doctor this week. You want to fill us in? Um, well, we were having this discussion, and apparently he's uh, been cleared to race, um, which is uh, kind of hard to believe considering the surgery that he had. Um, but uh, it's it, it's good to see that he'll be back behind the wheel real soon. Yes, and of course we're talking about the Hall of Famer Scott Bloomquist, who will hook up presumably next week uh, with the World of Outlaw late models when they kick off their racing down at Volusia. Ryan, you heard some news of a funky ride going on in North Carolina. You want to fill our listeners in on a, a situation that I guess, I guess you could say you could smile about that could have been very tragic, but I guess we could presumably laugh about now. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. One of our, uh, one of Wasota's finest, Shane Sabraski, he was on his way down to Florida going through North Carolina and obviously multi-time national champion in multiple classes, one of the best to strap in a race car in Minnesota, um, had, had a close call. He was driving on the highway and evidently somebody went to turn right in front of him and things happened pretty quick. And he looked up and he's like, oh my gosh, there's that person. He, he swerved, put his whole hauler in the ditch about five miles from, uh, from Lethal Chassis there in North Carolina. So, you know, glad that everybody's okay. Nobody got hurt. I don't think there was any major damage. It was kind of one of those deals where it could have been really ugly. You know, so for, for you drivers that are hauling your race cars to the racetrack, just remember, you know, to give them people ahead of you a little space, be paying attention because, you know, it could be in a snap of a finger, somebody's life could change. Um, so just, just be careful when you're driving on the highway Glad that everybody's okay, and uh, hopefully he got his bad luck yeah, out crazy. of the way. Well, Looking Jeff forward Kermis to seeing 7A you know, uh, perform really well at Volusia uh, next About a decade ago with a big hauler incident. I think that was in the panhandle of Florida or something, or going across Alabama or something. So, yeah, good news that Shane and crew are okay. And uh, we'll end tonight on kind of a sad note. Uh, John Andretti passed away. Sounds like he'd been battling some cancer. Any comments, uh, Bert, on John Andretti and his racing career? Um, well, I mean, it's always sad uh, when uh, you lose a member of the racing family. Uh, I mean, John Andretti, you know, may not have had uh, the, the success on the track that some drivers had. But looking back at his career, I didn't realize he was in NASCAR as long as he was. I mean, he had a long career in NASCAR. And I mean, obviously, he has the Andretti name. Uh, so, you know, it's it's always it sad. Hurt. When, What's that? I said that doesn't hurt. Well, no, the Andretti name in racing. <laughs> uh, but you know, you know, whether it's an Andretti or you know, even a, a lesser-known driver, it it's it's always sad when you lose a member of the racing family. We lose Ryan. You got me, Bert. Yep. Well, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. You were quiet on your end there, so I couldn't quite hear you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I saw a little thing that Kenny uh, Kenny Wallace had out there. Herm had on, you know, get checked. You know, you know, and I believe it was prostate cancer that he had. And he said, you know, it's not something that people like to do, but you know, uh, we we all go in and we service our cars. We all service our haulers. We're 
we do that preventative maintenance, so to speak, on, on all of our race equipment. So do that preventative maintenance on yourself. Get checked out, and, uh, you know, that one doctor's visit could be a big deal for you, you know, if you catch something early on rather than finding out right, after well, the well, fact. So, uh, great uh, show like tonight. Said, I uh, appreciate John. all you fans listening. Uh, you know, keep joining us. We're here every week. We'll be dropping a pot either Monday night or Tuesday morning. And anything else, boys? No, I just... I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it with this, Boca. Um, Super Bowl Sunday was yesterday. Um, hats off to the Chiefs, Midwest uh, Midwest team there. Glad to see them win. But I think promoters, racing promoters, and series promoters, event promoters need to take a good look at what they did for the Super Bowl from start to finish, an hour before. In fact, the whole Super Bowl week leading up. But all the pregame stuff, the halftime show, um, to, to the very end, I, it was a full entertainment. Oh, I mean, I, I was not disappointed. I was thoroughly impressed with the entertainment value that they provided for that marquee event. And, and I think that race car, race tracks need to really take note because it's 2020, folks. It's not, hey, let's just have a race anymore. There's a ton of races. You can watch them online. What makes it different? Why do, you, why do people want to come to your track? Let's give them a reason to come to your racetrack, and you're going to see more fans in the seat. We need to provide more entertainment value to not just the race enthusiasts, Bert? but the casual well, fans and everybody in between that, you know, to make at, our great you know, product the even better. Since drop or flew for the end of the 2019 season, uh, this is the time of the 2020 year that uh, race fans have been waiting for because – uh, things are going to start to get interesting and exciting with uh, the start of another season. Speaking of the start of another season, if any of you DVR the race, cover your ears now or shut off the pod now because I'm going to give you the winner of night one down in East Bay. And it goes to the youngster, Devin Moran. So congratulations to Devin. Uh, the race looks like it just ended. So um, and sounds like a wild one. So we will uh, join us again next week. We'll have all the details, like I said, from the six nights of racing that is taking place with the Lucas Oil Late Models down there in Florida for Speed Weeks at East Bay. And you're tuned to the One to Go show.